Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is going to focus on laws and policies for sex and HIV education in the United States. Now, if you're listening in from a different country from the United States, that's okay because you might still be able to get some information that you can then look up in where you're living in the world to see what your policies are there for sex education, as well as HIV education. Little side note, if you're thinking, okay, you're the puberty prof and you're talking about sex education. Well, when we talk about our body parts, the reproductive parts, as well as the pubertal and adolescent changes that we go through, that's sex education. And please don't think as health educators that we talk about all this adult stuff to younger children. We don't. It's age and developmentally appropriate. So to help me out today, I have such a ray of sunshine from the state of Michigan. Her name is Angela Bloodstar, and she's the regional school health coordinator in my area. So thank you for being here this morning, Angela. And would you say hi and tell us a little bit more about who you are? Yes. Hello, everyone. I am super excited to be here today and to be able to share a little bit about what I do as well as how it intersects with sex education and HIV education. And um, also thank you to Lori for bringing me on. This is a great opportunity to be able to talk about, I feel like a topic area that sometimes can be challenging for some people to talk about. And so in my role as regional school health coordinator, I uh, provide supports and services to school districts within a five county service region and uh, primarily around health education, which includes sex education. So uh, this is one of the pieces and the different hats that I wear in my position. And uh, I provide support to schools and also provide training. So this is something I'm passionate about. And me as a former health education teacher, this was my favorite topic to teach the students. Excellent. Thank you again for being here. And thank you for your positive energy. I, I truly, I feel it when I speak with you all the time. Now, do you mind expanding a little bit more about why you believe this topic is of importance, including at the younger ages? And again, the age developmentally appropriateness of what we teach. I I mean, I really am a true believer. And I think this became more apparent when I actually taught in the classroom What about the importance of puberty education and sex education. So I I really feel it's part of our healthy development. And this is something that we really don't talk about, but it's something we continue to experience throughout our entire lives. And knowing what healthy development looks like, like long, I feel like sometimes we just focus in on, okay, what, you know, during adolescence, what does healthy development look like? And then we forget to talk about it as we continue to go through our life cycle. So it's just, it's important to understand what's healthy, what's normal, and then also to develop those skills. Because I really feel like so much of what we do when we talk about sex education and puberty education is skill development as well. It's more than just anatomy and physiology. There's a lot that goes into that healthy physical and social emotional development. 
Angela and I are on the same page regarding health education for being standard or skill-based in which teaching children about how to access reliable resources when they have questions, how to make the best decisions for themselves, whether it be about their hygiene or decisions within their friendships and future romantic relationships. So to talk about a little bit more about policies, do you mind telling us a little bit about how each state mandates what's allowed to be taught regarding sex education and HIV education, or maybe even backing up? Let me back up. Do you mind starting off by telling us about what's the difference between sex education and HIV education? So I'll go through the lens of um, what, how the state of Michigan approaches this. So they have separated HIV education and sex education into two different topic areas to teach. And so HIV education really focuses just in on HIV education. So it's not covering all of the other uh, topics that you would discuss that align with sex education. So that is mandated, at least in the state of Michigan, every single building level, at least once per year, has to teach HIV education. And so that's really talking about the, the transmission of HIV, um, helping to reduce stigma around HIV. And so it's just focusing in on that HIV component. Now, at the earlier ages, like if somebody's listening in and they do have a child that's in the first or second grade, we don't go into all the, the different ways of transmission for HIV. It's more, it's more about basic hygiene, the washing yeah. of the hands. We don't touch each other's body fluids. Like if somebody gets a cut, would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. And, and typically I would say that when it talks about teaching it at every building level, elementary is clumped. And I would say fourth or fifth grade is typically when schools will implement HIV education. And in those younger years, they'll be talking about just the communicable diseases and hand washing and, and that, because we know it's not developmentally appropriate to start those conversations when you're talking kindergarten, even through third grade. Fourth and fifth seems to be when most schools will introduce the HIV content. Excellent. Thank you. So then how does each state mandate what is allowed? So this is really interesting uh, across the United States because we don't have standardized HIV or sex education. Each state can determine for themselves what they want it to look like. And so a lot of states will say, here are some overarching laws or policies that you have to do. Uh, and others will then therefore at that point make it so it's local control. So then school districts, if they choose to implement sex education, they'd have to follow what their state says. And so I will say majority of states, it's all local control. So that means that each community or school district would determine what they would like to see taught in sex education. Okay, thank you. So if you're living in the United States and you're curious about what is required at the state level, there's this interesting website, and I'm hoping I say it correctly. It's the Guttmacher Institute. And if you Google Guttmacher, G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R, and sex ed and HIV, you will be brought to a page that reads sex and HIV education, and state laws and policies as of the most current month. Usually this is updated every single month. Angela and I are talking in April. And as I pull this up, it reads, as of April 9th, 2021, 
39 states and the District of Columbia mandates sex education and or HIV education. So there's information out there. So if you're living in a state in which you would like to see what is required as well as what maybe needs to be altered to best support the education of children, check out this website, use this as a tool. Now, Angela, on this website, there's that term of medically accurate information being mandated, not in all states in the United States, but what does medically accurate mean? This First, it's very interesting when you look at this to see that it shows only 18 states require information to be medically accurate. And so I feel like when we're talking about being medically accurate, it's using the most up-to-date research and evidence to make sure that the information you're providing is supported by what we view to be medically accurate with those different references and resources. So most of us would agree that we would want our students or our children to be receiving medically accurate information. However, when you look at this chart, only 18 actually, 18 states require it to be medically accurate. Would you say a good example for medically accurate is to provide the correct ways a person can get pregnant, not the fictitious ways of, or to prevent pregnancy, not the fictitious ways that if you jump up and down after engaging in a certain behavior, uh, sexually active behavior, that you won't get pregnant. That is a myth. So we want to provide all the truth to young people regarding things. Yes. Yes. That was a fantastic example. It's really about making sure that we are saying the facts and and, and allowing students to even be able to hear some common myths and then debunking them and, and providing them with the factual information. Excellent. Another thing on this site that it'll tell you for each state is what is to be appropriate for students' ages. And it reads, 26 states and D.C. require instruction to be appropriate for the students' ages. Do you mind expanding what you perceive that to mean? So one, I will say this resource is absolutely fantastic. And if you've never looked at the National Sex Education Standards, they were recently revised. That is, they give you what is developmentally appropriate. So they will show at this age group, here's what's developmentally appropriate to discuss with these children. And so when looking at you know, this table that says that it has to be age appropriate, that's really talking about developmentally appropriate. So that the national sex education standards provide a great tool to reference and make sure that what's being taught is developmentally appropriate for students. So, you know, like you said, based off of this, it looks like 26 states plus uh, DC are mandating it has to be age appropriate. However, not all, as we can see, not all states require it to meet those standards. And I'm thinking as an example, some school districts talk about puberty at the eighth grade level, like that's where they introduce it, which is really interesting because we have children as young as eight years old, you know, more typical that fifth grade, sixth grade, sometimes in fourth grade. But by the time students are in eighth grade, they've gone through a lot of changes. So what's usually recommended is that we talk about these pubertal changes right before they're going through it or as they're going through the changes, which is more developmentally appropriate grades four, five, six. Yes, yes. And and I'll also say, so for reference point in the state of Michigan, we have what are termed, if a school chooses to teach sex education, they have to teach what we call the A to Ks. And so those A to Ks are basically content that has to be taught 
However, some of that content doesn't make sense to teach at a fourth and fifth grade level. It should be taught at that high school level. So that, that's a good example of even though it's all they're saying all of this content's required to be taught, it really goes back to what's developmentally appropriate and when does it make sense to teach that, as you mentioned, based off the student's age and making sure we really are talking about things before they happen or as they're happening. Thank you for saying that. And if you're a parent or other caregiver that's listening in and you're curious about what's going on in your school, please go and reach out to your school health educator. If there's a a director of the health education program, perhaps an administrator, Wendy Sellers, who's the puberty lady here in Michigan, she provided the advice of approach it in as positive a manner as possible to inquire. Everything should be shared with you. I mean, that's, that's the reality as a former health teacher, I would sure look at what we're planning on teaching to your child. Parents have the right to know in which according to this document, you'll see that 40 states and DC require school districts to involve parents in sex education, HIV education, or both in which it, it'll say that parents should be notified. Usually that's notified in for those puberty talks earlier on. Sometimes in the high school level, they might get something as a general notice for health education, what the topics and skill development would be. But parents and caregivers, please do have that positive relationship with your schools and inquire in which if you find out there are things that are not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate, or it's not medically accurate, Ask to talk to the committee if your school district has one about what is being taught. Because in Michigan, can you tell us like how it works in Michigan? There's these committees for every school district, if I'm correct. Yes. So in Michigan, if a district decides they want to teach sex education, because in Michigan, it's a choice to teach sex education. If the school district decides we want to teach sex education, they have to assemble a sex education advisory board. And so that advisory board is really overseeing the curriculum, the materials, they're reviewing those, they're establishing goals and objectives for the district. And so there's also within the law in the state of Michigan, there has to be a certain amount of people on that representing the community, parents, students, because it's really looking at making sure that what's being taught is reflective of the community's values and beliefs as well. And every state, again, is going to be different within our state of Michigan, the people that are teaching sex education, they have to be trained. Correct? Yes. So this is where it gets a little bit, um, I always say, unless you know the law very well, it can get very confusing. So within the state of Michigan, anyone who goes through a training can teach HIV education. To teach sex education, a teacher has to be highly qualified based off their teaching certificate. So that's where it gets confusing within our state is we have, which I, as a regional school health coordinator, I provide the training for the HIV certification. Sometimes we get teachers who attend that thinking they can teach sex ed. However, their certificate doesn't match what the state says it needs to be to be highly qualified. So there's a lot of overlap. And what I typically would say I see most school districts do is they combine HIV into sex education. So most districts are teaching them together anyways. However, we do have some who separate out based off of staffing and maybe not having enough highly qualified teachers to teach sex education. So 
it's very interesting. And, and I encourage all of you, whatever state you're in or wherever you're from, to really look into the law because there are a lot of different layers and complexities to figuring out who can teach what and what is being taught. And this is my bias. I believe this education needs to come from somebody who is educated on it, is able, feeling comfortable to talk about any of this, including puberty. I know when I used to teach puberty at a middle school to fifth and sixth graders, and I would tell their teachers ahead of time, oh, I'm about to go into this unit about a self-management with healthy hygiene and puberty. One of the teachers would say, glad I don't have to teach it. I mean, right away, he didn't have a comfort level. So I respect that because we want to have teachers that are feeling comfortable to teach this topic. And this is me, not to be biased about stuff, not to show judgment regarding you have to do this. It's as simple as talking about if you choose to use deodorant or antiperspirant. There are some people that are like, no, everybody should. No, that's a personal choice. And there are people that actually can clean the armpit area uh, very well. If they do sports, they can clean it afterwards. They don't have to use a product. and always like to access a reliable resource that we teach children. If you're going to use a product, use one that's better for your skin, that's healthier, research it. There's more natural ones that you can use. And then there's some others, name brand ones and stuff. But part of the education is that it needs to be taught with someone that has the qualifications and the comfort level. And they're also approachable that children can ask questions of, of them. Yes. Yes. I, I agree a hundred percent with that. And I feel like that's where it's important to make sure who's teaching the content is comfortable or has worked through some of their own. We always talk about our professional dispositions, making sure we work through those. And then as well as being passionate about the topic. So we do have in the state of Michigan, school boards can approve guest speakers or guest presenters. So if there is someone who isn't highly qualified based off of their teaching certificate, however, is very passionate about this, they can be approved to come in and teach that content, which is ultimately what we want. We want to have someone teaching it who is passionate, informed, care, caring, and it has the ability to form those relationships with students. So there is that way that we can make sure that that's being done. And so, yeah, that that is so important, especially with this topic area, to make sure that someone who wants to do, teach this is teaching it and that we we provide the resources and supports necessary to empower those who might be a little hesitant to start to feel more comfortable. I believe that there's a lot of us in the field that do it in this way. Do you have recommendations for parents and other caregivers regarding sex education and HIV education in their area or state? I think the first, number one, the first thing to do is, is if you're curious on what's being taught and, and what you can do as a parent, I feel like you as parents and, and caregivers are the primary sex educators. So I feel like that's where children need to be receiving their information from is from you first and foremost, so that it can align with your values and beliefs and, and so that you are creating that trusting relationship with your child so that, that they feel they have a trusted adult in their lives. I think if you are looking to make sure that you are finding out, hey, what is, the, what is being taught, if anything is being taught within the school system, how can you complement that and also and make sure that 
you are maybe supplementing some of those pieces because I will say sometimes schools based off of the community and the input from community, they're just teaching a certain amount of content. And you as a parent might find, well, this isn't as robust as what I would want my child to know. And that's where you might have to step in as a parent or caregiver to provide those additional resources because it it is important to know what is being taught and how you can complement that. So I encourage you, and I know there are wonderful amount of resources now to go out and and there's a lot of different toolkits that talk about how to even have that conversation with your child. And I think that that's the first step. I will also say based off my experience, I found books to be very helpful. So if your child is a reader, you can get developmentally appropriate books, put them right into their bookcase and let them know. And then they can do some of that on their own and then come to you with questions. I feel like that's a very safe way to approach the subject matter and allowing them to have another way to get those factual pieces in case they need to reference things. Excellent. And certainly those teachable moments, if you see something on TV, then, okay, let's talk about this. So it's a natural progression and nothing like having great conversations in the car. There's something magical about those car rides. And I also will do a plug because I've heard from more people that have been using the Talk Puberty app. That app was created to guide the conversation and it takes the responsibility of how to do it off people's shoulders because it's a natural guide of, okay, here's an initial question about overall children. And then here's the next question. And this is like in the order that children typically will ask questions. Do you have any words of advice for parents or other caregivers about getting more involved in their school district committees or going to the school board? Yeah, I think if you are a parent who's passionate about this subject matter and you really want, you know, and some states will actually allow parents to come in and view instruction. So in the state of Michigan, parents have the right to actually sit in on a class and actually observe instruction. Uh, Not all states allow that. Uh, I think that's a great way if your state does allow it for you to be able to, before your child might be, you know, having puberty education to view what's being taught. I also, if you want to be more involved and you want to be able to make sure that certain content possibly is being infused or integrated, then I think I know sex education advisory boards are always looking for more parents to join. And so it might just be reaching out to a a curriculum director or the superintendent or school principal and saying, hey, I'm really interested uh, in learning more about the sex education advisory board. And and I'm interested in serving on this committee. So I feel like they're always looking for more parents to join. And this is a great way for you to advocate and become involved. Excellent. And you just reminded me that if there is an educator listening in, to also have this open relationship with parents in which if you are asked, I know that sometimes there's this fear of, uh uh-oh, you know, they're going to not like what I'm teaching. But the reality is if we're teaching age developmentally, skill development and content, we should be sharing it with our community members, which are parents. I actually love having those conversations. At times I'm challenged because it's like, well, Is this going to convince them to do something? The reality is no, the research has never shown that. And when children have role models, when they have people they can go to talk with about this, it lessens the probability of higher risk behaviors, especially earlier in life. Now, do you have any words of advice for children that may be listening in regarding puberty, adolescence, or about sex ed and HIV policies at their school district? 
Yeah. So I think as a a child, I think it's important to make sure that you have access to a trusted adult that you can go to, to ask information. I, I feel like having that relationship with a trusted adult will be, and it doesn't have to be your parent. It could be another trusted adult, but somebody you feel like you can go to because there might be things that you hear that you're not really sure about, or you're like, I don't really know if that's accurate information. And so building a relationship with one trusted adult, I feel like is probably one of the best strategies that you can use. I also encourage you to reach out, you know, to your health education teacher. And if there's any questions you might have, I know a lot of them have anonymous drop boxes when they're teaching content where you can put in questions and you don't have to necessarily be the one to ask the question, but you can put it in anonymously. I just feel like the more questions you can ask, the better, because it's likely that someone else in your class has the same exact question. And so I encourage you to just create those relationships and you know, reach out to other people when needed. And I think that that's one of the best things that you can possibly do. Excellent. Thank you. And do you remember when you went through puberty? Yes, I do. And I remember I, I, my family, you know, having that conversation with my mom and okay, before you go into class, I want to talk about it with you first, which I'm so grateful. But at the time I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. Uh, but I'm so glad that my, my parents, had that conversation with me before I went into the classroom. Uh, And I, I really do feel like it needs to be more than just one conversation though. I feel like this is something we need to continue to talk about. And so instead of making it just a one stop, we're talking about it, that's checked off my list, continue to talk about this because we continually develop throughout our entire lives. And in order to reduce that awkwardness and stigma around this, we need to be more open about communicating it with each other. Yes. Talk is a verb. It's not a one-time thing. It's a verb. So, and all of us that have relationships, we know the importance of effective communication for sure and talking. So thank you for that. And I thank you so much for being here today, Angela. Do you have any last words you want to say? Yeah, I, I want to thank the, the audience for listening in. I know when you think you might look at the title and think, oh, law and policy, that might be boring, right? But I feel like there's so much that you can do uh, to advocate for that and really uh, learn more about what's being taught. And then, like I said, you might not be able to change what the school is teaching because a lot of it is, there's a lot of different policies that surround that and approval that has to take place. And it might not happen as soon as you want, but I encourage you to know what's being taught so you can supplement it if you feel like you as a parent or caregiver need to make sure that your values and beliefs are being taught or you're teaching more than what is being taught. So I I just want to thank everyone for listening in. And I just, I truly appreciate this. And thank you, Lori, for having me on as well. Thank you. And is there a way people can get in touch with you? Yes. So um, if, if you're interested in getting in touch with me, I am through Calhoun Intermediate School District. So my email is probably my most easiest way. And uh, that's blood, B-L-O-O-D-A at calhounisd.org, which is, I'll just spell it all out. So it's B-L-O-O-D-A at C-A-L-H-O-U-N. ISD.org. It's a mouthful. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is through email. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or direct you to some resources. And um, however you need support, I am happy to do that. 
Excellent. And thank you so much. Thank you for doing all that you're doing for children and youth and for the health educators and parents and other caregivers out there. Thank you. And if anybody has any questions for me, you can go to pubertyprof.com. You can also follow me on my social media, on Facebook, on Twitter. You can follow me there. I thank the listeners so much for listening. Feel free to check out the Talk Puberty app. Again, talk is a verb. And thank you again so much for being here. I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.